Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tenzin Biggles podcast. Uh, first and foremost, I'm so sorry. My voice is absolutely trash today. I've had a cold. I felt a bit sick, so I'm losing my voice. But luckily today, I got four people with me. I have Owen, a uh, good old faithful Vanshis on a road trip, so... Lots of fun to him right now. Um, Vanshai, if you're, you're going to be listening to this later, I'm sure. So hope you enjoyed your trip and got safe and sound in San Francisco. Um, I got obviously Owen and also our guests for the day are the Murray Musings podcast, Peter and Claire. And of course, we got to we had to have them, them, them on because, man, Andy Murray has been such a good uh, ride at Wimbledon this year. And it's been incredibly joyful to watch. I have nearly cried a few times, like back in London uh, when he was not back in London, like when he was at the Queen's Club. Uh, he had, gave his interview after his post-match interview. I was like tearing up. Uh, no jokes. And I thought, man, if, if he can't make it like deep run in Wimbledon, this is going to be such a magical moment. Sadly, at this moment, that's not exactly what happened, but still what he did was amazing. And let um, me just like, introduce you guys peter and claire how are you guys doing today doing well Hi guys good thank you how are you uh i'm great except for my voice <laughs> how are you Owen? Uh, i'm doing well i mean anytime a major is going on is a good time so yeah yeah also wimbledon has not been on from for for the last two years right so like 2019 was the last edition we didn't have it so it's very refreshing to have the grass grand slam back again um so peter and claire you guys are big murray fans can you guys explain that a little bit to us i'll um, defer to yeah, claire okay, first okay okay yeah. um yeah so like approach that I'm... as you as you will by the way <laughs> you can you can answer as as, as you wish <laughs> i've i've been i mean i've been following andy since like like 2004 2005 um I, I feel like I've grown up with him um because he was you know he was 18 when he sort of started playing on the, the ATP tour and I was 20 so he's been like the huge huge part of my tennis journey um and I, I just I, like I love everything about him I've always been always been a fan of him I love his I love the way he plays I love how he gets grumpy and agitated and moody on court I, I love that some people hate him for that um I just think he's everything that he does is 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 brilliant and he's he's an ambassador for the sport he's an ambassador for women's sport he's an ambassador for Scotland I'm very proud to call him one of my countrymen um and there's not really much more for me to say than I just I just I just love Andy Murray bits and I, I think um, when the time does come that he's no longer playing tennis it's he's going to be such a massive loss to the ATP um, and well to to the entire game not just the ATP uh, 
So I'm I'm kind of hoping that like obviously we'll you know we'll touch on we'll touch on Wimbledon we'll more than touch on it we'll talk about it for quite a lot I expect, um, but I, I don't think that what's happened at Wimbledon is is the end for him. I think he's still got a bit of a ways to go. I hope. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, so I'll uh, tell you just a quick story about my history with uh, Andy. Um, I was a, a decent fan of uh, Andy Roddick as an American, um, and I watched the San Jose Open in 2006, um, the semis against Andy, and it was a really good match. Andy Murray won, and then he went on to the final and won it against Leighton Hewitt, um, and in the crowd was Kim, um, and it was just an amazing moment as he won the title and just sealed it with a kiss to Kim. And it was just like a pure, like kind of this young guy just coming in hot, like beating Andy Roddick and Leighton Hewitt. And I was like, okay, you know, I can root for this good guy. And I usually root for the underdogs, the good guys. And uh, I mean, ever since, as Claire was saying, he's a great ambassador for the sport. He's a great ambassador for, you know, women um, and a literal ambassador for uh, Malaria No More and World Wildlife uh, Refuge. Uh, and uh, I just, I mean, he's just amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's just got so much grit and he's just wonderful. <laughs> It's like the way it's it's the way we always sum it up at the end, doesn't it? Like when I was talking about Andy with, with Scott and Peter one time, I think it was I think it might have been the very first time that uh, I joined Money Musings and um you know I finished it up by saying I just love everything about him and Scott was like, Yeah, you just you get to that point where you're talking about Andy and you, that that's all you can say to wrap it up is I just love him. <laughs> He's just brilliant. So yeah, it's, it seems to be like that's the sort of overall that's like the overarching theme for every money fan the world over isn't it we just adore them that's awesome yeah um and I guess my first question is um when you love a player that much it's obviously great to watch them but it can also cause like heart attack inducing stress like when you watch them play so um my question is uh what's this what's the match that Murray has played that had you the most stressed out Oh, I'll go first on this one. Wimbledon so final me, 2013? <laughs> no, no, not the final. The final was a piece of cake in comparison. The most stressful match for me was actually, can I can I tell you the two, the yeah. two most stressful matches for me? The first one was 2013 Wimbledon quarterfinal against Ferdasco. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. He, I think he lost the first two sets mm-hmm. and came back to win at five. I was, I was also... Um, 38 weeks pregnant so I was extremely extremely stressed out yeah it it was it was genuinely awful I was sitting in my living room on like one of these inflatable gym balls because I couldn't get comfortable on anything else and I honestly thought I was going to go into labour watching this tennis match because (laughs) my heart was racing I was sweating I just I, I couldn't get my my stress levels down and my husband was like at one point standing over me like you're going to need to switch tv off because your blood pressure is probably through the roof right now and I am no position to deliver a baby so (laughs) you're going to need to calm down and I just I couldn't that was um that was incredibly stressful that was a proper muddy coaster but 
obviously came through it and yet it, it made the it made the actual final itself a piece of cake like that 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 last match that last game sorry um of the final which went on for about 45 minutes for me it was just like oh well it's fine <laughs> I've wow. been through I've been through the most stressful moment with the, with the quarterfinal. Um and my second most stressful match, which is it's on par with the 2013 quarterfinal, was the um Olympic final in Rio in 2016 against Del Potro. Again, I was pregnant. <laughs> so <laughs> there's like a recurring theme here. Um I, I was that that one not quite as bad because I was lying in my bed watching it on my iPad because it was, I, I don't know what time it was. It was about midnight here that I think that match was on. Um, I found that to be pretty stressful, but it, it was, at least I was like sitting up in my bed and I wasn't quite as heavily pregnant either. I think I was about five months pregnant. So wasn't wasn't quite at the stage where like my stress levels could have been so high that I would have gone into labour. But that's um that's my too, and I I always think oh there's there's like a pattern developing here like you know if I'm pregnant Andy decides to do these like genuinely horrifically stressful <laughs> matches that's enough for me to never have another baby. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, how I about you, that. Peter? Um, piggybacking on to Claire, I'm guessing because they're both Murray coasters. I just watched uh, in its entirety uh, the match against uh, Verdasco uh, just, uh, what, three, four days ago to get ready for Wimbledon and get hyped because it's such a good match. Um, and uh, the Rio match against Del Po is one of my favorites and uh, it's a Murray coaster. And I, I think, yeah, it's definitely the match that, defines Andy like with his grit and like hey you know I've won gold before and the way he was so emotional after winning against Delpo for a second gold medal it, it was just career defining it was just everything it was just amazing yeah. that it really was an incredible match that one for, for both players I mean the emotion that both of them poured out at the end of that match was just insane and the Delpo hug. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's come hug. up because I, I think it's quite an underrated match. I was actually watching the last few games of it a few days ago. And I think Delpo mm-hmm. surfed for the fourth. And at the end of the match, they were just having like these endless rallies and they were both clearly knackered at that point. Yep. Um, and, uh, and yeah, Murray like broke and then broke again. And, um, and yeah, I, I think it was four sets, but it was also over four hours. So yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of his best wins in my eyes as well. So no better yeah. player to play like a, an emotive match again than, than Del Potro, right? Like it's probably one of the, the sweetest guys on tour. <laughs> he knows exactly also at this point in his career, he probably he's probably one of the guys that empathizes with Andy Murray the most. <laughs> he probably knows mm-hmm. the best, like what he's going through. And so yep. Yeah. And didn't Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Del Porto? Did he get the bronze in London? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, yeah. he beat Djokovic um, yeah. in the bronze medal match, I think. And you could tell as well how much he wanted it. You know, it it, it was. I mean, it, of course, either one of them is going to want the gold medal, but you could just you could see how much he wanted it as well. So it mm-hmm. really was this incredible battle between these two amazing guys. Um, it, it was 
I think actually, I think I'm going to go back and watch that again over the, the next few days. Now that I'm now that I'm talking about it, I'm thinking about it again. I, I think I'd like to, I've never rewatched it because I found it so stressful, but I think I could mm-hmm. probably go back and do it now, five years down the line. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I think in 2012, Delfo actually said that winning that bronze medal felt bigger to him even than his US Open win. Um, and that just shows like how many emotions and how much motivation was out there on that court. So it's amazing that Murray was able to overcome that. I always find it, you know, you, you get quite a lot of people on tennis Twitter who say mm, the Olympics don't mean that much to the players. Mm-hmm. It's there's no way that's true, and I always I always think that it's you know the people who say that are the people whose favorites haven't ever won because yeah, yeah, it's you know like that. it's the Olympics only comes round. It's it the slams are obviously a massive thing, but they happen every year. The mm-hmm. Olympics is once in four years or in this case five years um and and your your favorite may only get to play one they they, they might only have one opportunity at it we're really i think in andy's case we're super fortunate that he's about to go and play his third but there's not many players that will oh it's fourth of course yeah. they played beijing yeah yep um Sorry, I'm just I'm I'm already I'm a few steps ahead of myself. I'm thinking that he's already going to win his third. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, but you don't get many players that have that opportunity that keep up that level of tennis. And to over be fair, a lot of all the, those yeah. years, yeah, a lot of the players like you can see like in in the way to dedicate themselves to the Davis Cup, like the Olympics is sort of like in the same vein, but yeah. it, it's different because they also get to be a part of like a, a larger. Um, a larger thing right because they're they're getting one medal for their countries it's not like it's gonna make or break their their their, um their rankings like at the end of the olympics sometimes it can be um but like especially in tennis you get one medal so like uh michael phelps for for example getting like eight gold medals is definitely gonna have a bigger weight than andy murray making one um -hmm. or two right because he got to like win a golden they, he gets silver in the next doubles. Yeah, he gets yeah. silver in the next year. Yeah. So yeah, so like, it, it, it's definitely something they like to do because it, they feel a totally different atmosphere than when they're playing a Grand Slam, which is like them on their on their own, like trying to get their own achievements. Whereas like in the Olympics, it's like it's for their country and they're like they're in a huge team of like a lot of athletes doing things that mm-hmm. they could ever dream of doing like in other sports and this kind of like it must be like an incredibly humbling experience like Djokovic cried I feel like I, I, yeah. if I remember correctly after losing um if, if I'm not mistaken he also in lost Rio. Nadal in 2008 too right yep mm-hmm. he was devastated after that loss as well so yeah I, I, yeah. I was actually gonna bring that up like Djokovic crying after losing to Delpo like I have never seen him react that way after any other match, really, yep. and and it just shows how important it is because I think a lot of like these great tennis players are also the flag bearers some of the time. Like, has Murray been the flag bearer for Great Britain? He yep. was the flag in bearer, and and yeah, no, was it not? Was it not real? He was the flag bearer. Oh, was it? Yeah, I think it was. I'm oh, sure I thought it was, it was uh, London. I don't know why I'm. Sure. Shall I, shall I Google that. it? Shall I Google yeah, go it ahead. Yeah. Okay, so I, okay, so Peter's saying 2012 and I'm saying 2016. Let's just see. It's just like was the it battle, for both? The battle, it wasn't, it wasn't flag bearer for both. No, because I think uh, Sir Chris Hoy, another great Scott, I think he was flag bearer in 2012. I don't know um, why I'm uh, let me just Let together. me just see. Let me just see. Fill the silence, guys, while I do this. I think it's because... What's her name? Uh, Princess uh, Anne? 
Mm-hmm. I can, I'm sorry, I can't help you there. <laughs> if... Yeah. It was it was 2016. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you are talking to an Andy Murray super fan here, Peter. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, it, but we're just supposed to take your word for it that it was 2016. You I'm are the one who Googled it after it. all. I'm joking. Okay. I mean, I can hold it up to the screen, but you won't be able to see it. Hold on. Let me just uh, let how me convenient. See if I, can... I mean, oh. <laughs> no, I'm can you? Oh, hold on. Oh, hold on. That's a that's a Guardians page coming up. Can you? No, you can't read that, can you? No, no it's just okay. like too bright at this point. Yeah. For for everybody. Listen, just right take now. take. Yeah. I, I swear. Yeah. I swear on Andy Murray's life, it was 2016. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> put right. that, I'm gonna put that link on the tweet thread. Yeah, when, uh, yes, when that's the good. I guess we can put this in the description. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how about um, before we get to uh, the actual tournament at Wimbledon, like uh, which we, by the way, um, I'm just gonna mention this, but like uh, there's gonna be bits and pieces of this episode that we recorded before I actually did the introduction, so that's gonna be maybe like some parts of this episode is going to be a little bit edited <laughs> you may notice that but like um before we i ask you like maybe a question about the his run at wimbledon um what about this year like in general andy murray this year like he's it's not like he's had like a, just a bad year in terms of like not winning matches he's had a, a tough year in general he had injuries and things like that so like how was the the ride for him uh, in this year, uh, leading up to London, um, Wimbledon, really. I mean, year, hasn't yeah, having coronavirus, uh, it's just awful. Um, and having exposed his family to it as well, I'm sure he felt awful after the National Tennis Center. Apparently, with um, their uh, rules and everything, it just wasn't as um, tightly um uh sorry i'm getting emotional um uh, it wasn't as tightly controlled as it should have been um mm-hmm. and, and i mean he lost out on you know another australian open run uh, just showing up was you know good in my opinion for him I, he said that he was going to you know play well and he was so excited at the end of uh last year but it's just it's just been a rough year <laughs> mm-hmm. it's been I, I feel like it's been a terrible year for him in terms of playing tennis and, and getting back on the court but probably in you know like personal aspects he's had it's been not a bad year he's had another baby and mm-hmm. you know he's expanded his family so that's always really nice um so there's all but there's you know that's the kind of bittersweet things isn't it and and yeah the the whole thing from getting that was just getting coronavirus at the start of the year I mean that was talk about life to feel just absolutely hitting you for six no one expected that he'd been so careful he'd purposely not gone to Florida yeah um, because he didn't want to put himself at risk and expose himself to the virus. And then he goes and gets it on his doorstep, essentially. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it was obviously don't really know what went down at the National Tennis Centre, but even, you know, Dan Evans was quoted as saying that there were, pe- there were people there who, who should never have been there. Yep. Um, and and he, I don't think, I don't think Dan... I don't think Dan um, got the virus, but obviously he's seen he's seen it 
he's seen what's happened and he's he's felt fit to comment on it. So it can't have been it can't have been good. Um, and that's that really just that set him up, hasn't it, for the rest of the year? Like he didn't get to go and play, he didn't get that match practice, and yet he was feeling really good up until that point. Then he picks up that bizarre groin injury when he was in. I want to see Miami. Is he in Miami? Uh, he pulled out of Dubai, right? For it? yeah, yeah. Or no, did, excuse me. Did, he pulled out he... of Dubai because of his uh, fourth child, and then he pulled out of Miami um, because of the groin injury. Yeah, he was planning like, on li- going. Literally rolled over in his bed. Yep. And 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 couldn't figure out what it was that caused it. So then you know he's he's had that, and yeah, it's just not. It's not been. It's not been a shit. I mean, I I genuinely feel like coronavirus has had this massive. It's obviously had a massive impact on everyone across the board, not just in the world of tennis, the world over. Like coronavirus has been horrific. But when you think about how good Andy was doing at the end of twenty nineteen, and then he just get completely wiped out for twenty twenty because he couldn't play any tennis. And he's really struggled to to get himself back going in twenty twenty one because of one thing or another. And yeah, it's just not been it's not been the greatest time for him at all. And actually, just the fact that he's still even attempting to play, I think, speaks volumes for him. Says so much about his character and his resilience. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think his resilience has been outstanding like not just in matches but in his career with all these roadblocks that we're talking about and um and i apologize in advance if this next question brings down the mood but peter you mentioned the australian open um that he had to miss and um and with murray having bad luck there to say the least uh five-time runner-up always getting the worst of the the big the big three era getting one of the two best hard quarters of this atp generation in the final always and then having to miss it does does that just feel like a cursed major for him at this point uh yeah um i don't like it i mean it's called the happy slam i don't know why simple and sad slam <laughs> it is an unhappy slam complete fans. unhappy slam and i think it's funny how i used to love watching it and because so many people are so fresh and they're so ready to start the season um and i think probably 20 what 16 yeah, 2016 did it for me after that final. I was like, nope, I- I'm just not happy with it. So, yeah. That was just awful. Not the yeah. best memories. That was that was so awful. And and actually, 2016, Andy just did so well to get to the final, to power through. Like, he had a heavily pregnant wife at home. His father-in-law had a heart attack on, like, the next court while he was playing. Oh, my gosh. And... If for him to have powered through and played the way he did and make it to the final and to still not win it, oh, it was devastating. Absolutely devastating. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember this clip of a press conference um, when someone said during that major, like, Andy, you've said, if Kim goes into labor, you'll be on like the first flight back home. Like what would happen if that's like right before final Sunday? And he just looks at them and goes like the same thing would happen. <laughs> and um, I thought that was quite funny, but yeah, he's, he's had such a rough go there to say the least. I mean, goes without saying that in any other time period, I think he wins at least a few Australian oh, opens. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, he honestly, like, all. in any, 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 if you, if you were to play, like, back in 2000, like, entirely, yeah. like, in his prime, I feel like he would have won all the Grand Slams. The fact that he made the French Open final and took the first set off of Djokovic and was yeah. actually playing the best tennis, like, for the first, like, maybe hour and a half speaks him because he was, for a long time in his career, he was, like, not a clay court player at all. He, no. he was, like, lacking that one type of title and that one surface. And then he, Oh my gosh, that was probably one of the best match points ever. Like when he beat Djokovic in Rome, like with that. Oh, that was crazy. It's that smash and and classic Andy Murray just runs completely out of the court and just hits the back of winner, like pass, uh, passing shot. That essentially is just like Murray, like overcoming all of his obstacles and everything in his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like the, the Australian Open, I feel like it's, it's, it's the happy slam and probably one of the best slams ever if you're not a fan of either Nadal or Murray. Yeah. <laughs> because because everybody else can get like some 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 joy out of it because if you're a fan of Federer and Djokovic it's obvious the reason why you like that slam and if you're a fan of anyone else well they don't get much room to play against those four anyway so it's like whatever every every other match is is kind of good <laughs> and just yeah. kind of get to enjoy the tennis itself but yeah I can totally see why um, <clears throat> Australia is probably like not the best um start of the year for Andy Murray fans at this point it's because I think it's because like he's just he always did so well so you're always like yeah he's okay he's, he's gonna do it he's gonna do it now like 2010 it was like an unexpected run to the final mm-hmm. you know like I, every single year ev- literally every single year I would start off the year by going okay this is Andy's year every year I still say it even now this is Andy's year but I wasn't actually expecting it to happen in 2010. And to, 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 see, to have seen him play and to, to have seen him play that, like I was there, to have seen him play that semi-final against Man Cilic, he was outstanding in that yeah. match. And I was like, he can, he's going to do this. He's going to beat Federer. Like, there is absolutely, there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to beat Federer in that final. And then he lost. And I was like, hey, do you know what? It's okay devastated but there's just a learning experience he's going to go on and he's going to and then 2011 he's going to do it he's going to do it and he lost again 2012 that semi-final against Djokovic yeah you just he he always goes into the Australian Open with such high hopes and he plays such good quality tennis and it is an absolute outrage that he's never won it. I, I, I still, to this day, I still can't get my head around the fact that he's not won it. But it's, it's like you said, um, it's like you said, Andre, it's, it's a testament to the quality and the period that he is playing in and the players that he's up against. Um, it's, you know, the, these guys are unbeatable. Yeah. Um, I, I am glad you brought up the 2010 semi with Chilich because that match brought us uh, a couple iconic Murray moments. Um, there's that one break point where like he runs down a lob and like he doesn't hit like a tweener, but it's like he runs around it to hit like a forehand passing shot. And when he yells after his mouth opens wide enough, I think to swallow the entire stadium uh, that yeah. many a meme has been made out of that. Yeah. And then um, and then I think the last game or the next to last game, um, 
he serves and Chilich hits like one of the craziest returns I've ever seen. It's at like such a sharp angle. Is it the one that he hits like, uh, around yeah. the net post? Yeah. yeah, and then Murray sprints down and like run, runs it and uh, hits it around the net post for a winner. And then he just sort of like stands there and stares at his box and it's uh, the most badass thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, that that was an incredible match. Like I, I'm, I lost my voice during that match. Like there's just, I was with my cousin who he's Australian. He's a Murray fan, but he's like you know, I mean, I like him, but like you know, and he just couldn't he couldn't get over my reaction to that match. It's like, mate, are you okay? Do <laughs> do you need a stretcher? <laughs> <laughs> And if we're going back to present day, it's like, um, I guess, how do you, how do you guys, I, I mentioned that I, I was cheering up, like when he won his first match against Ben Wapair and at, at Queens club, I, I actually had hopes he was going to maybe make a deep run in that tournament because when he was coming back from the surgery, he beat Berrettini, I think in, I want to say Shanghai, but I'm not too sure about that. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was yeah. Shanghai. Yeah. So yeah. And, and Berrettini was a good player already at that point. And I, I thought to myself, well, Andy Murray is a good grass court player. He's won at Queen's Club five times. Um, I think he's got a good chance of like beating Berrettini if he's doing well. And Berrettini, of course, like maybe just a little bit too strong. Maybe same thing with Murray, like not necessarily having as much practice. But like, how do you feel after that tournament? I guess like, of course, like Andy hasn't been playing tennis, so like that's something that you had in your mind, I believe. Like when he lost that specific second round match. I was feeling good. I mean, the way he talked about being back on court and how much he loved it after uh, the interview, I was like, okay, you know, even though, you know, Mateo is a great player, I I thought he could do something. Um, I wasn't, you know, as optimistic as I usually am for a lot of Murray matches. Um, But, I mean, Mateo has gotten so much better over the last three years i uh watched him at a challenger event uh in 2018 and his forehand and his serve it's going to be you know uh, pretty good and do damage um i mean he's i think he's going to be at least a finalist at wimbledon um i'm hoping so um and i'm not gonna jinx his uh prospects any further but yes um so i mean i understand you know that a lot of people were hopeful for his comeback and hopefully a deeper run in Queens, but it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, yeah. I I thought he was amazing against uh, Ben Wapir. I was, and I, by the end of that match, I was utterly convinced that he was going to just go on and win the, the entire tournament. I thought his tennis was spectacular. He played some really beautiful shots and uh-huh. there was some real vintage money there. And then Berrettini was just too good on the day. Like he he was he played incredible tennis. And I've said this before. I, I always feel it softens the blow a little bit when the person that he loses to goes on to win the tournament. It didn't feel quite as bad, you know. Like I felt like the loss was kind of was a bit more justified. The fact that Berrettini played so well and it wasn't just a one-off. He continued that form throughout the tournament and. His, his form has continued after that, that and I agree with Pete I think he's going to go far um, in Wimbledon um, but I got really emotional watching watching it and, and seeing him come back out on court the last time that I saw Andy play 
tennis in person was at Queen's in 2017 when he lost in the first round to Jordan Thompson from Australia. So that was the last time that I had actually been physically been to one of his matches. Um, so for me, seeing him come back out then was just amazing. It was it was so emotional and in his speech afterwards when he started crying, I I don't cry that often. I've got quite a frozen heart, but like I definitely had a few tears prickling away. Um, it was just it was just great to see him back. I do wish that he'd, he'd had the opportunity to go further, but the draw is what the draw is, and he 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 didn't have his, he didn't he also didn't play as well against Berrettini. I thought I thought he looked a bit flatter. He, he was possibly quite tired. Um, that's why I was impressed with him at Wimbledon making it to the third round. The fact that he he had to play even more tennis than he did at, at Queen's and he he got further. So I have to take positives from both tournaments, to be honest. That was one of the things I was most impressed with, uh, with Murray, uh, this Wimbledon. Like, I think physically he did so well in those first two rounds because neither one was an easy match physically and he ended both of them um, really, really strongly, uh, like emphatically the better player. So I, I hope that's something he can sort of hold on to going forward and use as um, an inspiration when he trains in place next. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. You know, like how many hours did he spend on court this tournament? Like it was like over seven hours. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Second round was almost four hours. And I think the first round was at least two and a half. I'm not sure of the exact time. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I don't mean over the whole tournament. I, I was, I was thinking about the first two rounds before mm-hmm. he actually went on to play Chapo. Um, and it was like, he'd already played nine sets of tennis. Before, right. Yeah. Before he went into the third round. And that's for him. That, 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 that's amazing having not played te- having not played competitive matches for so long uh yeah I, I I thought he was he was brilliant in his first round match the the apart from that third set can we talk about the third set yeah I was about to this- say that we can move on to like maybe talking about like specifics at Wimbledon like five love was he five love up or five, five zero was it served five, at yeah. five zero yeah, and he, he, was, he, he was he lost seven straight games. That was impressive. Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Serving, serving for the match at, at five love in the third. I, 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 I'm actually really glad that I didn't tweet it, but I, I like, I literally had tweet written and saved in my drafts. To be like we do love a bagel, and you know, I was just, I was desperate for, a, and I'm really, really glad that I didn't you get us. Yeah, they said that <laughs> really in the DMs. <laughs> What I want to say um, was, I didn't even hear this, but someone tweeted this video out. Someone yelled out, wife beater. That's yeah. right. And the yeah. score was 5-0, serving for it. And... Fired him up, didn't it? I mean, yeah, apparently it fired Nico up. And uh, Andy was kind of asked about it, but not, you know, saying the exact words. They were like, oh, did you hear, you know, what was said? Or, you know, there was a lot of crowd noise, you know, being excited. Um, And Andy was just like, no, like, so I don't know if he's, you know, denying hearing it because it was loud. It was, yeah, Um, it was, it was clear as a bell. It was, it was as clear as the four of us talking to each other. Um, I think he's probably just, he, and he's a smart guy, he would probably wouldn't want to get dragged in to that particular discussion. Yep. Um, so I think he's 
probably just saying he didn't hear it. But but also I I I do genuinely think that they can shut out quite a lot of the noise if yep. they want to. They can kind of get into yeah. their own head and and block out a lot. So he 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 may genuinely not have heard it because he was yeah. too busy thinking about what else was going on. Yeah, I think another possibility is like maybe he didn't even remember, like with all the chaos of that last like set and a half. Um, and someone just said sort of vaguely, like, did you hear like what was yelled out? I mean, if the specifics of that aren't mentioned, maybe it's just all a blur at that point and yeah. slips your mind when you answer the question. Plus, it, it, it's it's a shock when you lose a set that you're winning so fantastically brutally. So like he yeah. may have just kind of like wiped it out of his mind right after and yeah. just not remembered it. But I, I fully agree. Like I... <clears throat> Even if Murray heard it, like as clearly as you said, and as clearly as he sounded, like it's very possible that he was just like, no, and talk about something else because he yeah. he he's not and he doesn't do it in the same way that like um um Federer and Adele do, which is like a very polite PR statement, basically that they they are able to create in their minds, like right in the moment. Murray is just like, and in, in a way this he kind of lets you know like i just don't want to talk about it let's just move on <laughs> yeah okay yeah. <laughs> yeah i guess it's also the fact that he's obviously like Eng- english his first language he's more able to like turn down questions like this than of course nadal would but <laughs> yeah and, and on, on that note i will say i like to hear murray's press conferences a lot more than federer's or nadal's because he'll give you like satisfying answers like when he was talking about his first round match he said like you know i beat the 28th player in the world like i'm coming back um like, why is everyone asking about me retiring? It's like, none of that is, like, offensive or too strong in any way, but, it, like, it's truthful, and yet it seems like a lot of players are, like, uh, reluctant to give that level of honesty, and he's not, which is very refreshing. Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah, like, I mean, I've hardly played any tennis this year, and I still beat him. Exactly, yeah. It's yep. amazing. <laughs> yeah, and um, um, I loved uh, that's just like a note we don't have to dwell in it, but I loved how he he's so funny in his interviews as well. Like he was mentioning, like, oh yeah, during the break I went to the toilet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody started laughing, and then Kim was like, Yeah, like, <laughs> I, kinda... I, I think he said like just a number one, right? Yeah, just, like, yeah. 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 Because he yeah. noticed people laughing. He was like, just a number he's, one. Just... He's so funny. Like one of Scotland's greatest ever sportsmen, but also one of Scotland's greatest ever comedians. He's just, he's, he's excellent. And what I noticed as well was obviously in the match um, against Ote when they closed the roof, which we really needed. We needed that roof to be closed. We needed Andy to go and have a shower and have a word with himself. They asked him again in this post-match interview, so, you know, what did you do during that break? And I think they were kind of hoping for the same kind of answer again, but he wasn't, he wasn't playing ball with them. That time he, he was like, oh, you know, I knew I had to change my game. And he gave them like a, a bit more of a sort of like strategic, serious answer. Mm-hmm. And I think the interview must be like, oh, I'm not going to get the laughs that they got, yeah. <laughs> they got on court the other night. Yeah, I, I think um, I think Vonch has said this on the podcast before. Um, Once Karatsev got asked that and like all he said was like, I went to toilet and like that was it. And like he didn't give them anything, which I thought was hilarious. I think with Andy's delivery on that answer, like it was just amazing. Um, I tweeted out like you put us through a whole entire match like that and you're acting like a stand up comedian. I was like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> yeah. You could tell at the end of that as well that he felt fantastic, uh-huh. that he felt really good. So, you know, I always think that's that's an indication of how Andy is mentally and physically, is how he 
like jokes and laughs about with the in the post-match interview like if he if he's kind of given one word answers then you know that he's he's not in the best place with himself and he's he, he wants to go off and and, and have a look at things and analyse things. But when he's like cracking jokes like that and giving his like deadpan Andy, that's when you know he's feeling good. So yeah, I just love to see that. My favourite um, interview with him this tournament was the on-court interview after he beat Ote. And um, and the first thing he said was like, you know, the fans are amazing. Like like that group over there, we were like feeding off each other. And then um, a few minutes after that, he just said like, you know, my hips feel good and the crowd went wild. And that was just so good to hear after a long match like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, did you see him give that talk to the the guy and give, give one of his AMC talks to the guy in the crowd? Um, yeah. who he had on like a Scotland rugby top so he was I, I don't know what he was he was doing during the match but he was obviously like keeping him going and shouting advice to him and stuff and I, I was watching him get the top and I was like oh, lucky lucky get getting that top <laughs> like you know he's just saved himself about 140 pounds <laughs> by getting that one for free from Andy he was celebrating that that shirt like he he'd won a match at Wimbledon. Yeah. Himself. it was it was pretty <laughs> genuine. Yeah. But yeah, I, I tweeted it out afterwards. Like Andy Murray feels like the type of guy who would literally add every single person on Facebook as friends and just chat with everybody. It he just seems like such a, a nice, fun guy to be around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's not he's not accepted my friend request. So. Ah. <laughs> probably oh, too it, there's also there's also a limit on how many friends you can, <laughs> can probably give you that excuse yeah. um yeah i mean I, I i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I love how he is with um with interviews in general. I don't know if um if you guys remember when Nishikori said um when he was a kid he wanted to be a penguin and uh tennis Twitter <laughs> like blew that. up for a while. And then they asked Murray about what Nishikori said and he he sort of thought about it and he's like, that that's a good answer. Like strange, but good. And I <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah, he, he's like clearly it's like a penguin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and then when he was doing that Instagram live with Djokovic, um, like pretty early in the lockdown, I, yeah. I think both of them were saying like what they did the first thing in the morning, and Djokovic is like, you know, I go through my <laughs> nutrition routine, and Murray's like, I go for a pee. <laughs> like, that was so funny. Yeah, Djokovic's like, I meditate, yeah. I thanks, I kiss my wife, and Andy's like, yeah, I go to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a Andy Murray and a Novak answer to do it that. It really is. I yeah. had to laugh. Yeah. All of that. That was brilliant. Like they're they're so they're just such different characters, aren't they? Like Novak likes to talk about like spiritual healing and magic yeah. water and stuff, and Andy's like, 
yeah, Tim steals my apple juice and then I go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's... Yeah. And, and it's sort of ironic <laughs> because their games are so similar, like the consistency um, in the back ends and the ability to run everything down and defend and return serve. And then their attitudes are just complete polar opposites uh, when it comes yeah. to that, like their personas. Yeah, it's hilarious. And and like you say about their games being so similar in that Instagram chat when they were talking about like building like their ideal player and they kept on choosing each other yeah for things you know like no I was like oh, I would choose like your return and Andy's like oh yeah well I'd probably choose more return but actually I'd probably choose your return as well if I had to choose someone else's it's quite funny that they, they totally appreciate um and recognize each other's game and that they, they know they play quite similar it's and they, they've been playing each other for a long time because they're the same age group and they played a lot of juniors together apparently and yeah so they've known each other for like 20 years or so. So they're probably like, they're, uh, I won't say that they're like good friends in terms of like, hey, let's have a beer together. I need to talk to you about something important. But like, they're probably like good pals, you know, like, you know, if they see each other, it's like, hey, how's it going? Like, how's your yeah. wife or something like that? You know, like they, mm-hmm. they probably get along together. Well, I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't think they're on par, but like Andy and Rafa, for example, Mm-hmm. like hang out on Rafa's yacht and stuff like such a hard life um <laughs> but yeah I, I think they are I think they are quite good friends which I think is nice to see I, I like the was it was it um was it in 2019 when Andy came back to Wimbledon to play the doubles um there was a photograph of him and Novak just like outside just as they were going in the doors and they were fist pumping and I was like oh that's a really nice picture I really that's like they just sort of like bumped into each other at the door and they just seemed so pleased to see one another um yeah I do I do Peter's not saying much because Peter's not the biggest Novak fan Uh, I mean (laughs) we always talk about this on the podcast every single episode (laughs) and I kind of love it but I kind of hate it because it's like yes you're right um but I mean, in my defense, there's been so many Novak matches against him that have not gone Andy's way. That it's just like, oh, come on. And I used to be a Novandy, like, like really shipping them um, back in the day. And of course, this was uh, before 2011 and before Novak conquered the world, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's fun to watch them interact, as Claire was saying. Um, uh, Andy and uh, Novak practiced at the French Open, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Novak held a ball that Andy Murray had just, like, bashed. And it was, like, in just, like, kind of just smushed up. And it was just amazing just to see them practice. It was much better uh, match than um, practice match than what they had at the Australian Open a few years before. And so it's just really encouraging. So it's good to see them be friends. So if you you want to hear more about the opinion of of Peter on Novak Djokovic, you can go ahead to the Murray Musing podcast and like listen to... One of the episodes, episodes, I guess, <laughs> any of the episodes of your choosing, go for the yep. most recent one because it's going to do better for their stats. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's more than fair. I mean, Djokovic, um, I mean, he, he's ruthless. Um, so I think it's completely understandable not to be his biggest fan uh, from the perspective of a Murray fan. Um, and I guess going off the uh, perfect player thing, if, um, if you could pick, like, the thing that Murray does best and um, 
the one part of his game that if you could, you could trade out for, say, another player's um, shot, what would you pick? Lob is the best. Second serve yes. is the worst. I mean, yeah. I <laughs> I was watching a lot of Wimbledon um, highlights from Andy, like, again, you know, to get hyped up for uh, this whole entire tournament and, you know, be excited about it. And, I mean, the way he's lobbed, you know, Jersey, um, Karlovich, Isner, like, so many incredibly tall guys. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's the perfect lob. I mean, the way he uh, lobbed um, Ott um, and won the match, uh, just sealed it. Just like he sealed the match against uh, David Goffin to win the Davis Cup for Great Britain. Yeah. It's just amazing. So, yeah. Yep. His low, I agree with that 100%. His lob is the most spectacular part of his game without a shadow of a doubt. It's just, he's the best. He's the best. I don't think there's, I, do, I genuinely don't think there's another player who can do it as well as he can. Um, I, I, you'd be hard pushed to find anyone else who, who can do it that well. Andy is the, he's the goat when it comes to the lob on the yep. tennis court. I, I, I would also agree with the serve. That's, that's, that's first or second serve, <laughs> to be honest with you. First or second. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, um, that's the one thing at Andy's that I would, that I would try and switch out with pretty much anyone, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like, like I feel like his first service is really good, but I feel like his entire service game overall is underrated because of his second serve, which is so attackable. It just sits mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. So it's like, I, I agree, but like, I feel like his his first service is, is penetrating, is fast, and it's accurate when he's on. It's yep. just like when he's definitely got like those like low fifties uh, percentage. Um, it, it it's bound to go wrong for him because yeah. his second mm-hmm. service is just. It's, it's also not necessarily something that he can vary a lot. So um, he can, even if you, even if the avatar, the opponent is hitting like poor returns at first, they're gonna get used to it because he cannot do much with the second serve. So they can just mm-hmm. get get used to this uh, the second serve and start getting into it a lot more. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think something sort of understated is that in his prime, even though his second serve was attackable, he was like one of the very best at defending it because he, his reflexes yep. were so sharp and he could scramble so well. And yeah. um, and like unsurprisingly, that sort of faded as the years have um started to add up. And so I think that um that it stands out even more now than than it used to. But, yeah. but in his prime, he was just so good at protecting it. That's it. I think, and I think that's testament to the kind of player that he is. That he, even although his serve isn't the strongest part of his game, he's so aggressive with everything else that he could force his opponents to make the mistakes, even if his serve wasn't that great to to, to begin with in his service game. So. Um, yeah, he's just and it, uh, coupled with the lob, they didn't stand a chance, did they? <laughs> yeah. Um, and like physically as well. And in like 2011, 2013, 2012, he was such a monster. I remember um, this point he played against Nishikori at the 2012 Australian Open um, when the courts were super slow, and it was just like this endless rally. And Nishikori was attacking, but he couldn't hit through Murray. And eventually, like, Murray won it with, like, a slice winner because Nishikori was just so wiped out at that point that he couldn't run it down. It was amazing. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, yeah, in his prime, Murray was definitely one of the fittest guys on the tour, you know, and he's like a... I always feel like, you know, Nadal is like this wall at the back of the court, you know, he's just like this wall of muscle. 
Federer is not so much. He's he's a he's a bit leaner and he kind of leaps around the court and and Djokovic is just made of elastic bands. But like Murray, he's he's so physically strong, but he could move as well. Um, and yeah, that that definitely that that played such a big part in his game. Like you say, back in the it's almost like the olden days now, isn't it? Back in the good old days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the golden age is like a decade ago at this point, which is crazy for those four. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Djokovic is still the next gen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. He's going to be, he's Djokovic is still going to be playing in 10 years time. Yeah, I mean, the thing about him is he's like, I still feel young. Like, I don't have an end date in mind. I'm like, how is that possible? Well, you maybe know? after I mean, all his nutrition habits do make a difference. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, well, I, I think they listen, have to and all the stretching and flexibility. Yeah, like people people take the Mickey out of him, like for all his magic water and stuff. But he's the one who hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> well, you, so... you would have to you'd have to probably think that the, the magic coral is more of like a correlation than causation. But that's that's another story, I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when um that thing he said after he beat Kudla about like being in the mountains and like training with a wolf or something like that, and like that being where his where he gets his spirit from i mean on the one hand it's very comical but on the other hand like i mean it's working clearly you know yeah. i mean he's probably gonna win this tournament he won that match so i mean people are gonna make fun of it all they want but it's probably not gonna make a difference in his results yeah exactly and, and i think that's probably why he does not care like he he probably doesn't give a damn if people are laughing at him yeah. because he says these things because he's like well at the end of the day i'm the one who's winning absolutely everything i'm the one who's probably going to get the golden slam this year so laugh away peasants and watch me pick up all my trophies yeah yeah and just if you're if you're really heading back to mr sir andy murray right must yeah. i say um not mr um what what do you make of uh his wimbledon run this year i mean um it was fantastic obviously like it was incredible to see him winning again and the crowd was totally on his side um they were you could see that they were sad that he was not going to win against Shapovalov, but they were um um they were happy to see him back in there and just like trying his best and um not come out of the court for a press conference and say how much his hip was hurting him because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely one of the things that made um the entire tennis world kind of like in sh- it, it put us all in shock when he was saying like i just i just want to have my life back type of thing like when when <laughs> he was saying crying that he almost like retired after uh, I want to say 2018 was it? Um, it was twenty. Australian Open 2019. Yeah, 19. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> so yeah. It, it after that and then just coming back and doing all this. Uh, I mean, how do you guys feel? Like you, you can talk uh, tactically about like how he's um, how he's played, how he's feeling, or just as fans, like what do you see for the future? What do you see for for Andy Murray? I guess like right right now, how are you, where are you at with Andy at this point? I am. Um, I've taken. I have taken a lot of positives away from Wimbledon. Um, I mean, we when we discussed his first round match, like when we did a pre-Wimbledon podcast um, on last last week. That I think it was Sunday we did it. Um, we were talking about his first round match and. You know, Peter and I were both saying quite confidently we thought he'd won in three, which he should have won in three. Like, you know, let's just be clear about that. He should, we should have been right with that. He should have won in three. Um, and Scott and Rashmi were saying four, which turned out to be the case. 
And I, I always like to project confidence and optimism when it comes to Andy, but uh-huh. I must admit, I was a little bit nervous. So, you know, I, I, I did have, until that first set was done and I saw how well he was playing, I was a little bit nervous. I was fully ready to strap myself into the Murray poster, which, I, you know, took, took a pretty decent ride on over over, the, over those few matches. Um, but I thought, like, the his first round and his second round matches, I thought he played brilliant tennis and he came back really well after, I mean, especially in that second round when he went down two sets to one, he, he could have given up, you know, like that could have been it for him. He could have, he could have got inside his own head. He could have got, you know, slumped and just lost in four, but he didn't. He fought back. And that's the Andy Murray that we know from pre-2016. That's the, that's the kind of player that we've seen over the years that we've not been able to see so much over these past couple of years because he's not been able to play, but also he's just not had, his tennis hasn't been at the right level. He's not had the fitness to do that so to see him do that at Wimbledon fight back in the first round fight back massively in the second round I've taken a lot of positives from it I mean I was I was really I was gutted um that he didn't do better against Chapel. but at the end of the day he just Chapel just played a much he outplayed him you know he, his his game was more strategic he was more powerful he was serving better. His returns were better. I think Andy was probably a bit tired, um, but that's that's not not to take away from the performance of Chapel. He was he was he was the better player on the day. But I still feel like I feel like Andy, if he was a bit and had a bit better form, if he was a bit more match time, a bit fitter, he he could have beaten him. On another occasion, so I'm taking I'm taking quite a lot of positives away from um, Wimbledon, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes at the Olympics. I, I don't know if there's anything I don't know if there's anything on between now and the Olympics. Um, it would be good if he could get like a bit more match time under his belt, but I just I don't know if there there's an opportunity for that. But I am feeling confident about what he's taking into the Olympics with him. Um, to be honest, uh, with Chapo's match, uh, I it, it was it was honestly a little sad to watch, but I just was just hoping, of course, Andy can come back. He's come back, mm-hmm. you know, from two sets down before. So just I thought that he, he had a chance. I guess. If, he, if he had taken the first set, I feel like it would have been a different story because he could have yeah. gotten back into it. Yeah. He actually had nine break points, only converted one. So like that's something yeah. there. Yeah. I always feel with Andy, especially nowadays, he really needs to win the first set because I, I think he, I think if he loses the first, he slumps and he kind of gets down on himself and you can see that sort of like, you know, the shoulder drop and the frustration setting in. And I, I always feel when he's back playing now, he needs to win the first set just to get himself into a good frame of mind. And that yeah. just, yeah, just it, 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 if he had broken back and won that first set last night, I think we'd have a completely different, we'd have had a completely different outcome, to be honest. Yeah. But it is what it is, you know. It, it seems so important, like for positivity. And I think, um, even in best of five where you might think it's it's not that important i think like the winner of the first set wins almost 90 percent of the time which mm-hmm. is crazy it's yeah 
Yeah, it, it does feel like if um if he had even gotten to five all, it could have been a much more competitive match. Um, yeah. But but I was really encouraged by what he said after he beat um Vasilashvili in the first round, and I hope um that can be more of a takeaway than um what he said after the Shafo match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I. I... I didn't get to see the comments until just about an hour or two ago. Like I, I didn't actually see the link for that interview. Um, but I feel like the, the the newspapers have made it sound worse than what it actually was. You know, like the way that they've reported it, it seems like he's been like, nah, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. worth it. It's not worth it. I don't know why I'm bothering. Like yeah, but actually, when you listen to it, when I watched it, he doesn't—he doesn't sound downbeat for starters. He sounds just like he sounds like Andy, um, just really like matter of fact, and he's just been honest, which is you know he's been honest all along. He's just saying like, <clears throat> basically, I need to work harder, um, if I if I want to be able to to play. With the best in the world and I think that's also like he, he was paying Shapwa a compliment um, there as well uh, I, I don't think it's as bad I don't think we're going to see him throwing the towel in anytime soon I just think he's probably feeling a bit pissed off with himself and not, yeah. he's, not, he's, not he's not going to retire anytime soon mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's my take yeah. from it yeah, I agree with that. It seems like the quote was sort of like contemplative more than like saying mm. um, it's not worth it. Um, mm. And and yeah, I, I think um, it, it is unfortunate that the clickbaity uh, articles yeah. like get to that first. And it's like um, it's like Murray's career handed like death knell and like latest quote after match. And it's like, no, that's not what it is at all. But that yeah. the, that's what the headline yeah. looks like sometimes. Also, yeah. I have a, to I, quote I, direct him. To quote him directly, excuse me. No, go ahead. <clears throat> um, he said, "I'm not being able to practice and prepare how I need to to perform how I how I would like at these events." Which, like I said, I'm not expecting and saying like I would beat Denis Shapovalov. He's a brilliant player, but I feel like I can do a lot better than what I did this evening. And I think that's a fair assessment, as Claire was saying. So, yeah, mm-hmm. his backhand was doing really well, and oh, I was, was telling quite a few friends, especially. One of my friends, Ange, um, who's a huge uh, 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 fan of Canadian tennis, um, that I, I know this is awful to say, but I love uh, one-handed backhands. Um, and of course, there's Federer, Gasquet, Vavrinka, like all these players that have really great backhands. And the way Dennis unfurls his backhand, it just, it's just way too wonky for me that just mm. doesn't look as beautiful as a right-handed backhand um and I, i'm sure if he was right-handed it would be probably you know more appealing to me um but it, it's just not so yeah. no i i, yeah. I totally I see that and and i feel like a hypocrite saying this because i wrote an article like a couple of weeks ago about why um, like the aesthetics of one-handed backhands, or like why I think they're like overrated. But um, but I agree. I like um, teams is my favorite just because it's so like yep. violent. Um, yeah. And so when I see one one that's like Gasquet or like a little more underpowered, I sort I sort of have like a bias against those. But um, but yeah, Shapos is interesting because sometimes he'll like jump and hit one, and it'll just be like massive. But it doesn't happen very often. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think for him, it's more a matter of like. Um, like the average backhand, if he hits that well, then he'll do well. But if he's not hitting like the um, like the regulation backhand well, he'll really struggle. Yeah. yeah, 
and the way he kicks into it uh, like you're saying with team it's a very uh, a violent like jerky action and maybe if like he was more balletic and of course smoother like federer everyone would applaud him but i guess it's like the the one thing that owen was talking i guess with the matt racket like matt from matthew willis from the racket Mm -hmm. i'm just called people from their handles on twitter by the way yeah yeah (laughs) yeah. um and uh you're saying like oh yeah like a a court is just as fast as the players make it make it be. So it's kind of like I guess it's I guess it's sort of true when it comes to Chapel. He wants to make everything faster. But yeah. Yeah. I, I mean I, I can't take credit for that line of thinking, but um but yeah, I, I agree with that. It's like yeah, yeah, no matter you, where you, he you is, it it's like he's he's trying to attack. Um so like in that respect it is like uh he tries to make every court fast. And I feel like yeah. that's that's what mm-hmm. he did. Yeah. I noticed that I noticed that last night and and, and this is for me like I said, Chapo's not the, the player that I would just tune in to watch. So it's not something that I've noticed that often because I don't watch him play that often. But I noticed it last night. Like it, There were moments when I thought the ball was still with Murray. I thought, you know, I was like, has he even hit the ball yet? But Chapo's already returned it. He was mm-hmm. just being, he was so fast in the way that he was going last night and the ball was flying. It was like, well, Murray's got no chance. He's got no chance tonight. Yeah, yeah. That, so that that kind of reminds me of uh, Ote's service motion. Like when he served, it was like the the ball would come off his racket before it even looks like he was finished with his motion, and that just seems mm-hmm. like such a disorienting thing to have to face. Um, yeah, yeah. That was most. That was one of the most bizarre serves I've ever seen. I tweeted about it because I was like, I I've never seen a serve like this yeah. before. It's like he's throwing the ball up, but at the same time he's lifting the racket. And mm-hmm. you know, from behind him, and he's hitting the ball while it's at its highest point in the air. You know, before it's even started to drop back down. Yeah, I was like, it just looks like he's like, it just looks like both arms are going. It it was it was bizarre. I mean, this is coming from someone who can't even serve, but like <laughs> it was really bizarre looking to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I guess that's sort of what they teach, right? Like, hit the ball at the highest point, but it looked so weird. Like, it didn't look yeah. like a textbook motion at all. It was yeah. completely bizarre. For me, like, what he felt weird was, like, his toss. Every time he would toss the ball up, I he was going to the motion of tossing. Like, for me, he felt like he was going to stop his motion and just kind of, like, bounce back the ball. But, like, it, it was yep. actually his regular motions. Like, we know what I mean. He's actually going to serve. It yeah. must have been not awkward to, like, figure that out. Like, ugh. Such a strange motion. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. I mean, it was working for him. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, also, I have to ask, like that that gif of him like smoking. Like, was he just miming it, or did he actually do it? Because I don't know. Um. And like, I can't figure it out. Can you do that? He was just miming, uh, smoking the grass, and so yeah, it was uh, fun. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. He was miming. Yeah. <laughs> see him just yeah, yeah, lay down on actually, the grass. I don't think he actually filled up some grass. Uh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. Because um. Because in the cliff, I thought I saw a bit of smoke. I'm like, did he actually do that? Um, I must have imagined it. It could have been the uh, just the chocolate from the line. Oh yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was really funny. And like, I, I am, um, I quote tweeted it, and I obviously joked. I mean, they should be defaulted because Andy was losing at this point. Uh-huh. And I, immediately after I tweeted it, I was like, I could get, I could attract the wrong crowd here, and I could get someone like just pulling me down and I was like it's a joke yeah. it's a joke but luckily no one took it the wrong way that, that's good yeah I've yeah. become a fan of Oscars because uh mostly that uh when he said that he watched the documentary and that he cried 
and that he was like you know andy's a hero and it, it's just it's just amazing what andy's done after his comeback so mm-hmm. I, I was like okay you know even though i watched uh i think the first match that i watched of his was against Zverev uh at the french open um of course when he didn't win when he was two sets up um i was like okay you know what is this guy and yeah uh what potential does he have but i, I think he's he's a good guy so he'll go far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'd like to be you know as optimistic as possible as claire and i are usually uh the optimistic ones at murray musings headquarters <laughs> um and so i mean the <laughs> yeah we we've talked about this and as we talked about the Chilich match at the at the Australian Open, I mean, when he yelled and his mouth was uh, wide open, when he did that against uh, Oscar Ate, um, I mean, it was vintage Murray. I was like, okay, you know, he's back. It was it was just amazing to see so many different things uh, in his movement and mechanics, and his serve was fine for the most part and i was i was pleased and um uh, i honestly checked out um after the second set of uh, denis's match because of more so the commentators um but i i think uh, disregarding dennis's match against andy I, I think i'll take you know the best that i can um from andy and hopefully he'll be fine yeah i i totally agree and the thing is I'm I am like I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to Andy like he he could be losing he could be six love six love five love in the third and I'll still be like no 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 he's going to come back he's going to come back and he's going to win it in five um and I'll I'll still be saying like 20 years time after he's been retired for almost two decades oh yeah I think Andy's going to come back and play like I just I, I, I just have a kind of like unwavering belief in him and I know that like for pretty much everyone to hear me say that they'll just be like she is off her head you know like she's absolutely deluded but I mean I've supported I've supported the guy this long you know 16 years and, and counting I'm not going to give up on him anytime soon and we've seen him come back so many times and nothing in life is guaranteed like I mean you you can't count him out until the last ball is played so yeah I think that's a really wonderful attitude to have. And I think um, if every fan were that had that much faith in their player, then they would be a lot less stressed than they are in tennis. Twitter might be a calmer place. Yep. It definitely would be definitely less toxic. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the muddy fans of <laughs> tennis Twitter is just like the one that's just like, yay, he's yeah. on court. <laughs> just, we're just so happy to see him. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's like the probably the least problematic of the big four fandoms because the other ones definitely have like their their schisms and all that uh, and like their fan wars. But um, but the Murray clan seems to be pretty, um, pretty united for the most part. It's that, like the, the meme you that you see. Yeah. It's like that the meme where you got like Mozilla Firefox against the uh, Internet Explorer. And then, <laughs> and it's like it's like Internet Explorer just like down in the in the corner, just like eating something. <laughs> Where everybody's fighting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they're all fighting amongst themselves about who's the goat. Well, like the Andy fans are just sitting eating their crisps, just really delighted that he's coming back to play tennis again. 
I saw somebody was like, oh, you know, Andy Murray fans are, you know, cheering on a win against Benoit. And it's like, we're just glad that he's, you know, showed up on the court. Like, give us that. Leave us yeah. alone and let yeah. us watch the guy has The guy has one hip. He's uh-huh. one hip. <laughs> you know, so... I mean, yeah. yeah, it's not like he, he was like in his prime or anything like that. He was yeah. coming back close. Like how many how many weeks without hitting a single like actual official ball in a like I mean a ma- uh, hitting a single shot in an official match, right? So yeah, I, I I think that should be used to refute like any time a big three fan tries to put down Murray, just be like, well, how many hips does your guy have? And then yeah. just let that be like the end all the all of the argument. Yeah, yeah, he has fifty yeah. percent of the hips that your guy has, so you right. can pipe down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And a hundred percent more than the gold medals that you guys have, except yeah. <laughs> and a hundred percent more. Actually, is hundred percent well. more because he has two, and Nadal has one. So there you go. Exactly. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he would have like, does he have more like medals, period, than the rest of them combined, or like the same amount? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you counted doubles, right, right, yeah, like, like yeah, so in, in singles, because I think Nadal has a gold, Federer has a silver, but that might be it. I don't know yeah. if Djokovic has a medal. He he doesn't. I think yeah. he's lost in the bronze medal match twice. Mm-hmm. And and Nadal Nadal also has a gold in doubles, doesn't he? I think so. Yes, he does. Yeah. With, uh, so, so in 2016 Andy as well, actually, I think. Yeah, Andy actually is the most decorated then if you count the doubles too, because he's got two gold singles and a silver doubles. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's amazing. He is yeah. the goat. <laughs> he's the golden <laughs> boy from Scotland. <laughs> um, Any, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I have um, the Wimbledon live scores up, and um, Chilich is up two sets on Medvedev. Um, oh, wow. wow. Which is really? pretty interesting, and I didn't see that coming. Me neither. You're uh, actually just saying... That coming. <laughs> um, fun fact that like Owen keeps hyping up Medvedev like every Grand Slam. I, I was going to say, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm always so big on Medvedev, and, um, and it never really seems to work out in the Australian Open. I foolishly predicted that he would beat Djokovic in the final. Um... And then I picked him to make the final of this tournament. So he, he better come back and beat Marin. That's all I'm saying. He is up a break in the third. So we have yeah, that at least. 4 2. Yep. Yep. And then we have Barty, who's up a set and a break on Siniakova. Yeah. No surprises there, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. guys. So, uh, oh, I, sorry. I, I, I just have one more question, which is the oh, most important yeah, sure. question of this entire thing. Um, how do I get like an advantage or a leg up in the prediction game? Because I really want to win the picture of uh, Mari. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would say like the way she's playing, I'd hedge my bets on Emma Dad, can you? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't really give any advice on this, to be honest. Oh, I, I mean, I, I was thinking more in the territory of like an extra life or something like um, oh, right. l- 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 like like a way to cheat, not a way to like, you know, do better than everyone else, I guess. I mean, to have your prediction in, especially uh, if we go to what, two, three um, close winners uh, right at the final. Um, and we usually have uh, the score. Um, if it's closest to the actual final score um, and then the time if you think that it's like a minute more than whatever the latest uh, entry is I would just do that like the price is right like oh it's a dollar or 1001 that's how that's how um, that's how the French Open one was Uh was one it was seven minutes I think 
yeah wow. because ev- everyone if ev- everyone had already chosen Djokovic because they, they were all being so strategic because every single one of them thought that it was going to be Nadal in the final no one right. was expecting Nadal to lose to Djokovic so they'd all already chosen Djokovic so they had no choice but to choose to pass in the final so then and there was like six of them wasn't there Peter was there like uh-huh. six right. or maybe four or six in the, um and so they all had to all had to choose to pass so then we had to say right okay what do you think that the score is going to be not a single one of them predicted they, they all predicted maximum four sets wow um and and again they had to predict that it was going to be seats pass as the winner not one of them got that right so then they had to go into time um and one person predicted two hours and 57 minutes and the person who won it predicted three hours and three minutes oh my god that's what it came down to it came down to the time and that was still like that was like an hour out because I'm sure it sure it was almost a four hour match, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, that that was that was what it came down to in the end. Well, I think I'm so even think more what, scared. What you now. need to do is when <laughs> when if you if you make it through if you make it through to the final, what you need to do is look at the two players who are in the final and have a look at their previous matches, mm. how many sets they've won, how long they've been on court for, and try and take a punt based on that. Okay, now th- that is information I can use. I really appreciate okay. that. And Andre <laughs> will wait to release this episode until after the tournament's over so that our listeners can't get the I same. A, I was about to say, you know that this piece of information is going to go to everybody else. I know, <laughs> yeah. I, I really should have thought this through. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll find a way to game this. And that's too bad for you because I'm and, not and putting listen, that out. The, the, there are some people taking part in this competition who are taking it very seriously. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's There's... There's a couple of people I think who are like making notes of who everyone else has chosen. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so yeah, you need to um, you need to be careful. You don't give away too many secrets. All right. I so mean, I understand because surprised by a cat um, from Paints and Pylons. It's a great photo. It's a great uh, painting. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's so pretty. Like I, I would seriously love to have that. So, so I, I will be so taking this very it's seriously. Basically, it's this. That's really cool. It's this, but in a, this is just a coaster, but it's this in a print, um, an A3 size print. So and she's going to sign it, and she doesn't she doesn't sign her stuff normally. So it really makes it um really makes it a one off prize. Yeah. So so how about like for for a finishing thought on this episode? How about you guys make a little promotion of like what you guys are doing right now? of the what's the what's the competition let's try to get can people so, still enter is that a thing or no no, no it's um you have to be in it from round one from round one all right it's, cool. it's essentially it's called the last woman standing but it's, it's you know it's essentially a suicide pool you can choose one player to get you through to the next round but then you can't choose that player again so you have to choose a different player to get you through and so on and so forth um until you know you're whittled down to the final and actually i mean People are doing pretty well from today's matches. Only one person has been knocked out. Everyone else has gone through. Everyone else has gone through to the, the fourth round. Um, and the yeah, the winner gets an amazing um signed, not signed by Andy, signed by the artist print of Andy Murray. Um it's a, a woman named Kat who runs Paints Pylons. She's at Paint Pylons on Twitter. If anyone wants to check it out, she's got an amazing shop with some incredible artwork, does loads of Murray stuff and does loads of Scottish-centric stuff. So if you are Scottish or a fan of anything, anything Scottish, uh, you'll definitely find something on there that you like. 
Cool. So, um, my gosh, my voice just completely failed at this moment. So <clears throat> I feel like this is probably like my last sentence, <laughs> like before my voice just completely bails out on me today. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for, for accepting this invite. I, um, I really had a lot of fun. I'm sure Owen also had a lot of fun. I heard him laughing. So that's yeah, th- th- this was really a lot of fun. And um, yeah. I mean, like door is always open to do it again. Yeah, exactly. Thanks oh, for having thanks us for on. Having us. And, and we would love to do a crossover um, at some point and get you guys on to, to Murray Musings. Hopefully maybe get all six of us to, to have a discussion. Yeah, uh, Maybe sure. pre, pre or post Olympics, perhaps. That would be great. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. So um, how about you guys just give us your all of your handles for Murray Musings and your personal ones. If they can follow, if, if your handles are private, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, um, just where, where can, can we find you guys? So for Murray Musings, you'll find us at Murray Musing. No S on the end of Musings, which I always find really bizarre. But at Murray Musing, um, you'll find me at Brooksy Bradshaw. You'll find Scott at BarclayCard18. Is that right? Uh-huh. Is that right here? Yeah. And um, Peter, I'll let you do yours. <laughs> and you'll find me, Peter, at Tagai84. Again, all of those things are going to be in the description. And probably in the thread of Twitter, there's not enough characters to put everything like in one, but everything is going to be on social, so you can follow them out. Um, and um, if you're participating, good luck. I'm, I'm already out. I bowed out in the first round, so uh, <laughs> good luck for you guys. Yeah. My prediction game has been pretty terrible this year, but I uh-huh. successfully predicted Maria Sakari losing in the second round, though. So that's something that I can take, yeah. <laughs> even though she she completely dominated in their first one. So I was scared for a moment. So yeah, I count this as a victory. So yeah, uh, you can follow Tennis and Bagels at Tennis and Bagels. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just like and not because I, I like to write it sometimes, like stylize it with like a, the special E thing. Um, I don't know what's that called. If anybody knows that name, you can just tell me right now. <laughs> but um, uh, you can find Owen at at Tennis Nation on Twitter. Uh, my personal handle is at Olenberg Andre. And um, Vansh, who is not here, but he was, he could have been here, but like he he just could not get himself into a position of actually recording. Yeah, um, rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Vansh. We're going to, as, you, as you've heard, we're going to do crossovers soon. So you're going to be included in that one. And maybe we're going to have like a super decent conversation with like six people in the same podcast, which is going to be a first. It'll be pandemonium, for, yeah. Yeah. honestly. Yeah. Once, once nice you guys chaos. get Scott on here, you'll regret it immediately. <laughs> Should I just get drunk for that one then? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or not. But, I, I mean, Vansh and I are still under 21, but th- the rest of you could and we can. Well, if yeah. you come to Canada, you can drink, but yeah. All right. Yeah. Now th- that is a proposition. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah, um, yep. Yeah. Uh, Vansh on Twitter, by the way. I didn't think I don't think I'm, I finished that thought, but yeah, I'll see you guys later. And thanks again, uh, Murray Musings, Peter, Claire, for being here uh, and sent my uh, my thoughts to Scott. I hope he's not suffering too much because of Andy's loss. I uh, hope he's as optimistic as you guys are. But yeah, see you guys later. So, so. <laughs> thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure. All right, see ya. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.